please be seated. I'm going to have to steal one of your music stands because uh, I don't have one. Thank you, honey. That's my lovely wife, Tammy. As you can see, we are uh, making some more changes here in the sanctuary. If you notice, we've kind of lost our screen and the back wall is moving back. It's part of an ongoing process where we are trying to work at keeping in step with the spirit here at Faith Covenant Church. Uh, this fall, we felt uh, uh, God leading us to want to worship together at one service at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. And so we've been trying to make uh, changes here in the room to be able to add more seats. We, had the, we cut out a big portion of our stage to create more chairs over here. Uh, we're moving the back wall back so we can figure out how to make some more staging changes. And, and, and it's all part of hopefully what God is doing among us uh, to allow us to be flexible and adaptable and keep in step with his spirit. Uh, I was uh, not prepped for this this morning because I, I wasn't, they didn't know we were going to plan to do this, but we have this, uh, this tiny little communion table <laughs> in this big room. And it looks kind of awkward, right? It doesn't really fit. But if you didn't know, we've talked about this here. If you've been here for a long time, this is the original communion table that was in Faith Covenant Church, then Sumner Presbyterian Church in 1877. When Faith Covenant Church in its infancy was the first church in the Puyallup River Valley before Washington was even a state. This faith community was born as a mission outpost on the mission field of the Northwest Territories to bring the light and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and a hurting world. And that mission has not changed. And so we are, even in this season, needing to be reminded and encouraged of God's goodness and his love, but also his call to go out and be light in the darkness and to share the good news of Jesus. And in that spirit, we're working through the book of Philippians uh, for four weeks. We're in week three because the book of Philippians is a book of encouragement, but it's also a book of challenge, a challenge to stay united in a culture that seeks to divide us. To stay together in a culture that seeks to, to tell us that we need to go our own way. To, to put others' needs above our own in order to learn to serve one another well in a culture that tells us we should look out for number one, first and foremost. And so we're going to continue that series this morning. But before we do, I just want to invite you to pray with me one more time. And as we were just singing, recognize that all of this comes from our deep need of the love and the grace of God in our lives. It's not because of how good we are, right? It's because of how good God is and that he invites us to join his son Jesus on this journey together. And as a result, he transforms our lives from the inside out. Would you pray with me? God, we do thank you that you are with us and that we need your love and your light in our lives. And we need your word to speak to us again this morning. And we give you permission through your spirit to, to let your word be a word to each one of us. Would you speak to us the words that we need to hear to help us see those places where, where you want us to continue to grow and to receive that challenge uh, as an invitation to experience more of you in our lives. And God, as you speak to us and you bless us this morning, give us the courage to respond in obedience, to go out and be your people in this place. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we kind of introduce this series, we talked about uh, this letter to the church in Philippi, one of those churches that the Apostle Paul planted. It was one of the churches that he loved the most, and his prayer for them is that their love would abound more and more in their experience of life together. And he challenges them to stay focused on what's most important in sharing life together. And this idea is that because they were born together into new life in Christ, they needed to remember the fact that Jesus is alive changes everything. The fact that Jesus is alive changes everything. The love of God revealed in Jesus not only becomes the new reality in which we live, but it becomes the very model by which we are to live out our life together as the church of Jesus Christ. Now, we got to hear uh, the larger portion of Scripture from, from Jeff's reading this morning. And what we're doing is encouraging everyone, if you're not already in another study or, or reading another part of the Bible, to be reading through Philippians, not necessarily verse by verse, but kind of soaking in the whole letter. Read it through and then read it through again and, and get a feel for the, the heart and the attitude of what Paul is trying to communicate and we wish we could go through verse by verse, but today we're going to focus on two points out of what Jeff read for us this morning. And I want to focus in on the first point that I think Paul is telling the Philippians is that our starting point is to challenge one another to take a spiritually mature view of life. To challenge one another to take a spiritually mature view of life. What does he mean by that? Well, in verse 13, he says, brothers and sisters... I do not consider myself yet to, to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too, God will make clear. So, so what's he saying there? What is the mature view? Well, I would suggest he's saying, don't think of yourself too highly, <laughs> right? Even the apostle Paul is saying, I don't have this all figured out. I'm not perfect in this. I have to look at my own stuff first because I recognize that I'm going to make mistakes and, and I've got a lot of work to do on myself. And if I take that view and I start by saying, you know, I need to look at myself first, then I'm going to be less likely to be pointing my fingers at everyone else and saying, oh, well, you've got the problem and you need to change and you need to do this, Right? But how willing are we to look at our own stuff as a part of what God is inviting us to do? It's so easy for us to focus on everyone else around us and say they're the problem. But that's not a very mature view, Paul says. He says, I, I, I recognize that I don't have it all together. And therefore, what I do is I keep looking to the ideal that God has revealed in Jesus. I keep looking ahead to what the heavenly kingdom is going to be like because we know what, because Jesus is alive, it changes everything. And even though we know we have to wait until the end of history for it all to come to fulfillment, God has given us uh, centuries of clues as to what it looks like and how we can live into it and how we can celebrate and participate in the life of God now, today. And so we keep our eyes on the prize, right? We keep our eyes on the prize, knowing that we haven't arrived yet, and until we're dead, we're not done. And so there's always more work that we have to do. And so we have to start with ourselves first. 
How do I need to grow and change today? What can I do to be more like Jesus today? How can I be a blessing to those around me today? Now, we know that you cannot erase the memory of the past, but you can live in the present, Paul is saying, no longer influenced by your past. You break the power of the past by living into God's future, recognizing that he is giving us the ability to experience that future more and more today as we give ourselves to one another in love. I'd suggest this morning, it's it's a willingness to start over again, to keep going, to not give up or to give in. It's, It's a willingness to say yes to Jesus today and tomorrow and each new day, recognizing that each day we are in need of his forgiveness and his grace again. But he gives it to us freely and generously. Over and over again, he, he, he gives us the power to make a change, to learn something new, to experience God in a fresh new way. And Paul is saying, if we keep our eyes on the prize, we're always discovering new depths of God and new power to experience life in a new way, new reconciliation in relationships that we thought maybe were irreparable. Paul says we have to keep our eyes on the prize. See, we know what's coming, right? Because we know what has been accomplished on the cross. That's why we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because not only has God provided a method for overcoming the sin and our brokenness in our lives, he's even overcome death itself. And so we have nothing to fear because we know that the end is already assured. Now, it doesn't mean we get our ticket to heaven and then we can go about our lives any way we want to, right? It means because we know what the end is, we can start living into that now. We can start being a part of the kingdom of God today. And then we have something to share with a lost and a hurting world. Therefore, we learn to take an eternal perspective. When I first started out in youth ministry, I took a part-time job while I was in seminary in Pasadena at Eagle Rock Covenant Church. And I, you know, printed out one of those... uh, Uh, signs on the computer that was kind of a click art, you know, that really bad click art that was just awful graphics, you know, but I made my own sign. I put it up in my office and the sign said, take an eternal perspective. It'll change the way you see things. Take an eternal perspective. It'll change the way you see things. See, when you're in a heated argument with your husband or your wife, if you take a step back and take an eternal perspective and say, what does this argument matter in the scheme of history and then the larger eternity that we're going to live with God? Might it change the way you think about the argument that you're having with your husband or your wife? When you begin to recognize in the stream of biblical history that God is the great reconciler and he has the power when we make Christ the priority to bring broken lives and broken relationships together, what does this argument really matter from an eternal perspective? When you're in financial difficulties and you're wondering how you're going to make ends meet and and whether or not you're going to be able to to pay the bills and and get nice things for Christmas for your kids, what if you step back and take an eternal perspective and say, what do material things really matter in God's larger picture of, of life in this universe? And in the end, if we worry about and fret over about what we're going to wear and and what we're going to be able to buy, are, are we really going to be any happier by getting more things? 
And we are reminded by the Bible that God is a generous giver of all good gifts that come from heaven. And if we take an eternal perspective, it might change how we view our, our, our finances and, and our material possessions in this world. Or when your career takes a left turn and you, and you thought that you were going to be going in this direction and all of a sudden you have to, to do something completely different than you thought. What if you begin to take an eternal perspective and you say that God is the one who calls us and shapes us and gifts us to make a difference in this world? And, and your career doesn't matter in terms of your status and your value in God's eyes, but how are you using what God has given you to serve others and make a difference in the world? Might it change your ability to understand what work and life is all about? When your friends let you down, when your body lets you down, right? Can we be reminded that Jesus is the great physician and while we still live with brokenness and even death in this world, that because Jesus is alive, it changes everything. That we don't even have to fear death. We're all going to die. And some of us might die sooner than we think. And some of us who think we're going to die soon may not die as soon as we think. But if you take an eternal perspective, what does it really matter when our time comes? If we're living every moment that we have for the Lord and we're, we're, we're investing our life in the things that God has said are going to bring true happiness and lasting value through his kingdom in the world. See, if you take an eternal perspective, it'll change the way you see things. And once we do, once we're able to, to look at things through God's eyes and from the, the, the perspective of the resurrection, then Paul says, secondly, we have to recognize that you can't do it alone. You don't have the strength and the endurance to maintain an eternal perspective in your life through all of life's ups and downs. He, he says in verse 17, you have to join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. See, we have to, to, to join together in living this life because we need the encouragement and the support of others who are able to see from an eternal perspective in life. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I struggle with this verse from Paul. Um, you know, I don't want to be the standard. <laughs> I, I don't want to say, hey, oh, follow me and do it as I do it because I've got it all figured out, right? And so we, I think we shy away from, from wanting to, to call the spotlight to us to say, you know, look at my life. Do it the way I'm doing it because I've got it all figured out. And in fact, I just said the very opposite, right? None of us have it figured out. So I think we miss the point of what Paul is saying. If we, if we shy away from somehow we're supposed to put the spotlight on ourselves and say we're so great and wonderful. I don't think that's Paul, what Paul is saying here. I think what Paul is saying here is that he's figured out that none of us have it figured out. And if you take an eternal perspective, then you're able to live a life in a way that invites others with grace and mercy to say, none of us have it figured out. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. I think the problem, men and women, is that we're not doing it together. We're living our lives individually, and we're living lives of quiet desperation, knowing that our lives aren't working the way that we want them to, 
knowing that there's so much more that we could experience of God and of Christian community, but we just keep doing the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result. And when we talk about doing real-life discipleship at church, the question is, are we, willing, are we willing to do that with other people? And, and the question of, of, of doing it with other people isn't, how many people can you squeeze into a room on Sunday morning? It's, who are you meeting with, and where are you going to go? Right? If there's not a name and a face and a place... You're not doing it together. You're doing it alone. In so many ways, I think people look at the church of Jesus Christ and and they say, they they think what we're saying is do as I say, not as I do. Right? Do as I say, but not as I do. Don't, Don't follow me. I don't have it figured out. Paul is saying just the opposite. Come and join me. Let's do it together. I don't have it figured out, but we can learn and we can help each other, and we can grow together. See, Jesus was very clear that as his followers, our lives were intended to be a testimony to the world around us. But in order to follow Paul's example, it means that we have to take uh, the willingness to take responsibility for another life. Now, if you think about that phrase I just said, the willingness to take responsibility for another life, doesn't that mean that we have to grow up and become adults in our spiritual lives? I mean, isn't that what it means to become a parent, right? When you willingly say, hey, we're going to have kids, you're willing to take responsibility for another life. And and we're going to celebrate today the the gift of dedication and parents who are going to come and say, we are willing to take responsibility before God for the gift of these kids that you have given us. Men and women, we are all children, in God's eyes. And we need someone who's willing to invest time and energy in our lives so, so that we can be growing into maturity as well. Are we willing to take responsibility for someone else? Not because we've got it all figured out, but because if we don't have a name and we don't have a face and we haven't picked a place, we're really not doing it together. See, the challenge, I think, as we talk about discipleship for us is that not only have we really forgotten that our primary role in Christian living is to do it in partnership with other people in intentional ways, but I think the problem might be is that most of us have never experienced that in our own lives, and so we don't even really know how to do it. Most of us have not even experienced it in our own lives. We've not had someone who's come along inside and said, God has led me to, to come alongside you. Can, can I be in your life? Can I support you? Can we encourage one another? Can we become intentional about our friendship and our relationship in, in God's eyes so that we can grow in our spiritual lives? I think that's what discipleship is all about. But most of us have never had that experience of having somebody spiritually parent us in a very intentional way. We had a, last spring, a a discipleship training opportunity. We had this curriculum called Real Life Discipleship Training, right? And we invited 60 people, or we invited everyone, but 60 people said yes and went through this training. And I can tell you to a person that I talked to who went through this training, they were overwhelmed and scared by the idea of taking responsibility for another life. Because they didn't know how to do it. 
They didn't know where to go. They didn't know how to build that bridge. They didn't know how to connect. And they didn't know if they even had what it takes to, to make a difference for somebody else. Men and women, if we don't even know how to do it, how can we hope to grow the church in the ways that God has called us to, to disciple others, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them? We need to learn better how to do it together. See, we need, to, we need to help one another in this. We need to encourage one another. And why is this important? I'm going to wrap this up pretty quick because we don't have a lot of time this morning. Why is this important? Because Paul says that there are two different paths that people can go down. There are two different cultures that are vying against each other. Very quickly, he says the first one, verse 18, for as I have told you as often before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You see, to live as enemies of the cross of Christ, Paul is saying, is to have your mind set on earthly things. It's to look for your happiness and your salvation and your hope of a meaningful life in the things of this world. The problem is you're always going to be let down. Pursuing happiness through earthly means always leads us away from God's best for our lives. And apart from God, we cannot save ourselves. That's why a person's destiny apart from God is destruction. God doesn't force himself on anyone. It's always invitation. It's always gift. And when we reject God's best for our lives, our own personal desires become the driving force of who we are. The driving principle in our life becomes our own appetites. Our God becomes our stomach, right? Maybe literally, but also figuratively. The appetites in our lives are what rule us and what drive us. And when our appetites become the primary concern, then we're focused on my own comfort and my own needs first. Rather than thinking about others and, and, and how I can contribute to the lives of others, we're always having a selfish perspective on life. And in the process, life gets turned upside down. The very things that we would better be ashamed of in our lives, we begin to glory in and take pride in, Paul says. And, and, and is, there any, is there any question that the culture that we live in in the world today is an upside-down culture that, that we are glorying in the very things that we should be ashamed of? Think of the many things in our culture today that people celebrate and they lift up as praiseworthy. How many of them are actually things that from an eternal perspective and to, from the perspective of the cross are things that, that really are not that good or healthy for human flourishing? See, we fall into the temptation to pursue life and happiness apart from God. And before we point the finger at the world out there, men and women, we do this in the church too. We try and do church in our own strength, in our own power, and we do religiosity apart from God and somehow think that we're better for it. And Jesus' harshest critics were for those who should have known better. Those who claim to know Jesus and know that, that, that mercy and grace have come through Jesus Christ and the free gift of, of the cross and the resurrection, yet even in the name of Jesus, we pursue life apart from God's power and strength and somehow claim that we can do it without him. And if we're not careful, we end up becoming enemies of the cross ourselves. Rather than being examples of the love of Christ to one another that he demonstrated, how do we change this direction in our lives? 
Paul says we allow ourselves to remind, be reminded that our citizenship is not of this world. This world is not our home. And if you try and make this world your home, you're always going to be focused on the things that make you feel better. Our citizenship is in heaven, and our mindset should be on the power of God's transforming work in Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, he says in verse 20, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Men and women, we need to be in relationship with people who understand that their citizenship is in heaven and are taking an eternal perspective on life. We need to see and experience examples of how this transforms the way we do marriage, how it transforms the way we parent our kids, how it transforms the way we manage our money and pursue career paths in our lives. We need to be around people who get how to apply God's word in our lives that allow us to experience the transforming power of God's work in us. That's how we do it. We join together in living life. All right, so we're out of time. Sorry. Right. It's always continued. Till you're dead, you're not done. Men and women, as we come to Holy Communion this morning, we join in Paul's example together by, number one, keeping our eyes on the prize. Remembering that the fact that Jesus is alive changes everything. And then we join together. We seek out one another, and we intentionally commit ourselves to take responsibility for the care and the nurture of someone else's life. Then we become mature, and we discover God's power at work within us to bless us and to grow us to who God wants us to be. And that's what communion is all about. We remember the cross of Christ and are reminded to see our lives from God's heavenly perspective. And we come together as the body of Christ in this world to experience his grace and his power to do in us what we cannot do in our own strength. And we celebrate that goodness in our lives. I want to invite Pastor